a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast about international intrigue, international politics. We choose a subject matter every week, something that is of interest, that is unfolding somewhere in the world, and we break it down for you. Dr. Keith Souter, couple of PhDs, this gentleman on international affairs, and has been an Australian commentator in media for many decades on the issues that we delve into on this show. My name's Kate Mack. We've worked together for a number of years now. Dr. Keith, we're going to talk about a pretty interesting topic today. Now, I would assume a lot of our listeners know a little bit about Watergate, even the younger ones, because it was just such a famous case. An American tragedy, but still huge interest around this topic, Keith. Yes, that's right. So um, the book that I've been reading is by Michael Dobbs, who's a British author, uh, now resident of the United States, and it's called King Richard. Richard Nixon's mother uh, named all of her sons. She only had sons, and they get, all got English names. So he was the King Richard. <laughs> he got the good one. <laughs> He's got that. The subtitle is Nixon and Watergate, an American Tragedy. So what happened is that in August 1974, Richard Nixon resigned. He had just been impeached. Uh, we had one per- one president who was impeached back in the 1860s by the name of Johnson. Uh, so the word impeach means that the lower house thinks that you have committed a crime. So you then go to the Senate and you stand trial in the Senate. So impeachment is simply a decision by the lower house that you may have committed a crime. The actual decision is made in the Senate. So uh, Johnson, uh, who was President Lincoln's successor, just managed to avoid being sacked by the Senate. And then for a long time, we had no mention at all of impeachment. And then the next big one is Richard Nixon, 1974. So the background to his being impeached and what is covered in this book by Michael Dobbs, brilliant book, thoroughly recommend it. In 1972, Richard Nixon is elected with the largest majority in American history. It's a stunning election result, which he managed to achieve. And for people of a certain age like me, we've only ever had Richard Nixon in our lives. So he he started in politics after World War II, became vice president under President Eisenhower, and then tried to uh, run for the presidency against John Kennedy in 1960 and lost, tried for California as governor and lost. And then in 1968, a new Richard Nixon, we thought, had been created and he ran again for the presidency, much more different. So in 1960, use the famous example, he refused any television makeup. So he's got a very swarthy skin and no matter how closely he shaves, he always looks unshaven and slightly sinister. John Kennedy, however, was willing to have makeup applied. And that, you know, Nixon thought that's very sissy. That's what women do. Real men don't wear makeup. And so uh, people watching the debate at home said that Kennedy won. He was very cool, very smooth, etc. But people who listened to the debate at home on the radio said that Nixon was in better control of the facts. Nixon was one of the smartest men ever to make it into the White House. How so? Just simply by virtue of his educational record. He came out dirt poor from California, has no silver spoon in his mouth, unlike President Kennedy, who never had to work for a day in his life. So Nixon was always a poor person from a poor family and worked very hard. 
unremitting hard work as an undergraduate and then as a lawyer. So he had this very strong work ethic. And he was a very bright individual. The only problem is that he was a crook. So (laughs) that's the the problem. This is a small issue. A bit bit of a flaw there. That's right. So, in fact, one of the people who worked for him said that Richard Nixon is a bit like eating a sponge cake where you have several layers of cake. So when you cut out a slice for yourself, what you get are layers of pure genius and layers of pure evil, all in the one slice that you're going to consume. And that was the the characteristic of Richard Nixon. So if you think back to Nixon's achievements, he opened up China to the world. He wanted to get out of Vietnam. He had to negotiate with China. And so China was brought in from the cold. The Soviet Union, he negotiated nuclear arms control agreements with the Soviet Union. So from one point of view, he was fantastic in terms of working for global peace. And as a very conservative politician, he could do things which a left-wing politician could not do. So in other words, that unlike President Kennedy, who could never go to the Soviet Union, could never go to Red China, Richard Nixon, with his impeccable right-wing credentials, could do that and took the right wing with him. So we, we see that's the good side to Richard Nixon. The bad side is that he had this perpetual suspicion of everyone. He didn't trust anybody. He may have trusted his wife, Pat, uh, probably the two daughters. Other than that, he was suspicious. He'd come up the hard way, no silver spoon in his mouth, and it had made him very suspicious of everyone else. And that was the culture that he brought into the White House. And so it's actually, this is a good story for people who run companies. We always say that a fish rots from the head. In other words, the head of the organisation sets the tone, the cultural tone of the organisation, including the United States government. And if you've got a fish that's rotting at the top there, it'll flow all the way down through the system. And Nixon was a good example of that. So in regard to the actual Watergate break-in, this occurred in 1972, June 1972. A group of people broke into the offices of the Democrat Party in this um, very well-known building at Watergate. And they actually broke in twice. The first attempt failed. Then they had another go. They made a number of silly mistakes. And it meant that the security guard got suspicious and then called the police. They were arrested. Uh, No one knows what at the time what they were doing, except they're in the Democrat Party's campaign office in the election year of 1972. Uh, The election was due in November. So they they went before the police. The White House itself said, ah, this is just third-rate burglary, nothing to do with us. It's not a big issue for us. And the journalists who worked at the White House said, yeah, you're right, it's it's just third-rate burglary, nothing suspicious. And the story could have died at that point, but there were two young journalists, Woodward and Bernstein, who were not working at the White House. They were local reporters for the Washington Post. And they said, isn't it odd? All of the burglars who've been arrested are white. Washington is 80% black. Burglary is a black monopoly. And yet all these people, without knowing who they were, all these people were white. And that just got Woodward and Bernstein interested. And, of course, one thing led to another, and we then get the Watergate crisis.
You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about Watergate. Can't believe you took a break there. We're waiting with bated breath for you to keep going. <laughs> right. And so these two journos were the ones that... Woodward and Bernstein mm-hmm. were the ones who've gone on to great things. So these two youngsters recognised something which the old veterans, the elite journalists working at the White House, didn't cotton on to, that this type of crime is, is not committed by white people. They do white-collar crime. <laughs> they don't do breaking and entering. They employ the people who do the breaking and entering. And so they just continue to dig around. And then eventually, as we now know, Mark Felt, who was in FBI, started to feed information about what was actually going on. And, of course, he, he at the time there was a pornographic movie called Deep Throat, and I won't go into the details. <laughs> and... Um, That was his name. The two journalists never revealed his identity until just towards the end of his life he was dying and then he decided to disclose his own identity. So these were getting information from inside FBI. So we now know, we we have a better idea of what went on. So quite early on in his presidency, there was a person called Daniel Ellsberg who was a conservative political scientist who had worked for the Pentagon and elsewhere he released a whole pile of documents, what we now call the Pentagon Papers, relating to the American involvement in Vietnam. And he was a conservative. He had supported the war in Vietnam, but then was horrified by seeing in these papers that everybody had lied, that here you had reports from the intelligence people on the ground in Vietnam saying, we're losing, we've got to get out of here. And then you could trace the document as it moved up towards the White House And the spin was given that, oh, no, we're winning, we're winning. And Ellsberg said the American people have been lied to. So Ellsberg decided to publish these papers. Now, this is the beginning of Nixon's presidency. He's not mentioned, as far as I can recall, to any great extent in the Pentagon Papers. But then you end up with politicians like the Australian Prime Minister, McMahon, ringing Nixon and saying, how can we have secret dealings with you if it's going to end up on the front pages of a Washington newspaper? So Nixon then set up a plumbing unit to stop the leaks. That's the logic, right? You, you need plumbers to stop leaks. Uh, he didn't trust FBI. Daniel Ellsberg was a friend of that director of, of FBI. He was, Ellsberg was and is, he's still alive, very well placed. And, and Nixon, of course, didn't trust FBI. And so he said, I'll create my own unit. And so these people went on. They, they burgled Ellsberg's psychiatrist's office to see what dirt they could get on him. This went on for four years. So by the time that Watergate occurred, these burglars, some of whom are ex-CIA, this is what gets very interesting, may have been involved or may have been in Dallas at the time of the assassination of John Kennedy, This is what fuels the conspiracy theories. They got arrested at Watergate. They then go on trial and they then say that we're not getting paid enough compensation. In other words, to keep our mouth shut, accept the charge and then go to prison. And so they then started saying we want to have more money or we want the president to exonerate us as the president has that power. And in the end, all of this became public. So he got elected in um, November of 72 The break-in occurred in June. We still don't think that he actually authorised the break-in. But this goes back to the issue of culture, right? There was this very tough culture by Nixon in the White House. 
you could easily imagine these ex-CIA people like Gordon Liddy saying, this is the sort of thing the boss would like us to do. Let's go ahead and do it. That's what you know. That's why the CEO sets the culture of an organisation. And so these uh, people then decide to go public. There are then a number of Senate inquiries and Nixon had a lot of enemies. And so the story of the impeachment of Richard Nixon is a bit like a net that's closing in on its victim. It's very difficult to identify one particular individual. So many were just involved, so many inquiries getting underway. I was in Vietnam for part of this period, and it was quite bizarre that here we've got the Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces busy fighting for his political life, while we've got American forces <laughs> trying to save their own lives in Vietnam. Vietnam had just consumed the, the oxygen in Washington, D.C., and the lower house voted pretty well to impeach. It was going to go to the Senate. One of the problems for Nixon is that Nixon, again, this paranoia, had decided he would record things. So there are a number of recordings set up so that as soon as he walked into a room, the tape recorder started going. And so it's all there on the tapes. And, of course, if you want to start deleting the tapes, you've got to listen to each tape for as long as the tape itself ran. So there's years of tapes there. And this fellow, Michael Dobbs, has got access to all those tapes. He sat there. <laughs> oh, I think you ought to get Patience. alive. <laughs> I was about to say, actually, Keith, very quickly, because you said at the beginning that the robbers were Democrats or were they robbing the Democrat officers? They're robbing the Democrat officers. Oh, okay. Um, they're Republican, so they were, some they're... of them were ex-CIA, ex-government employees, et cetera. Right. Very shady operators. Yeah. So they were, but we're still not sure what they were trying to achieve inside that Democrat office. They were trying to plant some bugs to listen in on the phone conversations, but we don't know why. And it's, and I don't believe that Nixon or himself personally authorised it, but he was involved in the cover-up. And on tape, we have him telling people, this is how you can minimise your exposure when you're arrested. Uh, this is what you can say in court. See, this, this is prejudicial to the legal system in the United States. And at the very end, um, Nixon resigned. His supporters in the Senate said, you're going to lose the vote because we've now got the smoking gun, which is all the cassette tapes, and, you know, we just can't continue to defend you. Sorry. And so Nixon resigned in August of 74. And, of course, the best revenge is to be successful. And Nixon, instead of going away and dying quietly in the corner, reinvented himself yet again and was, uh, at the end of his life, was seen as this very shrewd global statesman who had helped end the Cold War, at least for a while, uh, brought China in from the, the cold. So we now have China. Well, as you know, you and I are both wearing Chinese clothes. A lot of the equipment <laughs> here is mm -hmm. made in China. We thank Richard Nixon for that. And so it's, it's interesting that Watergate from time to time resurfaces, as we've done with this book. But Nixon has had the last laugh. He's reinvented himself and he's seen as his global statesman. It's still just such a fascinating story, even all these decades later, especially maybe because Trump, you know. Exactly. That's you know, why we all started talking about Watergate, because of Trump getting impeached. Exactly it, it. Exactly right. And remember working in Sunrise, we had one of the lawyers on Watergate all the way through that process on yep. the show, and it was just still so fascinating. Thank you, Dr. Keith. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. 
listener.